Matthew Part 4 So, um, Matthew Chapter 4. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's when Jesus is led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tested by the devil. And did you know, if you go back to Deuteronomy Chapter 8, God is talking about why he led the Israelites through the desert to be tempted. I can read it to you if you want, if, if that's something you're interested in. Because all of the... The quotes that Jesus says, like, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's quoting, because that's when the devil's like, oh, you're hungry? We'll make some food, you know? And he said, and he, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. So there's a very interesting parallel there that unlocks what Matthew 4, why Jesus is saying that. You know, he's not just quoting verses, pulling them out of the narrative, like, oh, you know, I got you, devil. But he's actually showing something. And uh, God says that he led them in the wilderness to test them, to see if they would obey him, right? They grumbled over food, right? They said, we wish, what'd you bring us out here just to kill us and to starve us to death? Where's the food? Where's the water? And that's why they kept getting in trouble because they had in, like in Psalm 114, it says, you had a wanton craving in the desert, which provoked God to anger, you know? So in Deuteronomy 8, he says, remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey, these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing didn't wear out, and your feet did not swell those 40 years. Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So keep the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him, right? So he said he deprived the Israelites in the desert of food to test them for 40 years. Just that, And so Jesus walked through the, the wilderness for 40 days, deprived of food, God testing him to be, it says the Holy Spirit led him out after he was baptized into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil to be tested. So he's like a little microcosm of Israel walking through the wilderness for 40 years, but he did it for 40 days. Yet when he was tempted, he passed the test. He wouldn't eat food until God told him to, right? So where Israel had failed and fallen, Jesus fulfilled. Yeah. I really like entering into that, that mystical interpretation of history and placing myself in that history. Do you remember when I sent you an email and uh, I said to picture a bunch of kids at Sunday school listening attentively to your story? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Like the mystery of history. Like you have a time and a place. You're born here. You live there. You moved over there and you married this woman. You had these kids. You, you know, you did this job. You went to this church and, you, you know, all this stuff is being written down. It's being written down by good angels. It's being written down by fallen angels. They're all keeping track. Both sides of the battle are keeping track. And then at your particular judgment, you're going to see all that, right? So it's very powerful and it's very, very mystical. So I, I always think about mystery, the mystery of salvation history in terms of your role, your particular role in the story. And I don't know if you know about virtual reality, but if that headset gets pulled off you abruptly, suddenly, you don't want to be caught doing something that is disrespectful to the author of that virtual reality game that you were playing and that you were so engrossed in that you started to get selfish about it. The virtual reality can really suck you in to the point where you start disrespecting the creator of that world. And uh, the enemy wants you to get distracted. The enemy wants you to look 
at the shiny objects and all the beauty of it and get sucked into sexual pleasure and the pleasure of food, money and power and everything else so that when that virtual reality headset gets pulled off you abruptly like a thief in the night, you're sitting there next to Jesus Christ and you're in a very embarrassing situation where you have lost touch with your creator and you've lost touch with your savior. It's a very dangerous game and you have a role to play and you also have been given the freedom to stray from that role. So that's how I think about mystery in salvation history. Yeah, that's amazing. It just like, you know, we read the narratives of these people's lives in the Bible because they highlight a certain thing that God was doing, but there's a story like that for all of us. Yeah. Yeah, like in the, in the reckoning, man, it scares me though, man. Because, you know, in Christ, he, he says, you know, like everything that was done in darkness is going to be revealed. Like we're naked. We're in front of everything. And, we, and like in Hebrews, it talks about we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And Christ says every idle word that you've spoken will be held against you. It's like, oh, man, every idle word. Think of how many idle words, this stupid stuff I'm just mumbling to myself all day, all the obscenities. Scary, man. Because in, in uh, 1 John, it talks about if we do sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So is that like God's bringing down the, the hammer on you and Jesus steps in, whoa, 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 let's talk about this. Do you think it's like that? I've read very graphic images of the judgment where there is that very legalistic structure where you've got your enemies on one side presenting these very damning facts and then you've got your advocates on the other side, which include everyone from God Almighty, the second person of the Holy Trinity interceding for you, all the way down to that little sinner who is in heaven because of your prayers, okay? So if you make it into heaven, it will be perfectly just. And if you don't make it into heaven, it will be perfectly just. I mean, wherever you end up, it'll be perfectly just. But the point is to trust in Jesus Christ and to not be attached to sin and uh, that it really is quite simple. As long as you can detach from sin, it doesn't matter what you think the enemies have against you in the books already. It doesn't matter. That's all insignificant. That's nothing compared to the resources you have among your friends, the saints, and of course, uh, Mary and God himself. So it's all about having confidence. It's all about having trust in Jesus Christ. Once you have that, then the threat of the skeletons in your closet coming out, they can be seen for what they are which is nothing really your sins are nothing and and that's awesome that's peace and stuff but i was just reading you know first john and chapter two begins with uh, my children i'm writing you these things so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins not for ours only for also for the whole world then it says this is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. And then he goes on saying things like, if you continue on in sin, you're a child of the devil, and you're not of God, you know? So I know that I'm a sinner, man, every day. So it says, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or know him. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. It's like, I want to wish-wash around that, 
but it's so point blank in your face. Like, how do you interpret that? Right away, the intuition that comes to me is Paul's conversation with God. Take this thorn away from me. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. So imitate Paul, recognize the thorn that you have. And, you know, you too will pray for that thorn to be removed and God will give you the same answer. My grace is sufficient. So the the thing I want you to remember is that you are a sinner, but you are a different kind of sinner now. You are striving to always say yes to grace and always say no to sin. And I think you know by now that there's a distinction, a very powerful and real distinction between venial sin and mortal sin. And so it's actually a lot harder for you to sin now than it was before, because in order for you to have sin, the kind of sin that causes death in you, in order for you to do that, you need to disrespect your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in a conscious way where you know it's wrong, you know it's a grave sin, but you're going to do it anyway. And I don't think you're doing that. I think that there's an inner tension now that is the surest sign that you are striving to always say yes to grace and no to sin and never sin again. So when you feel the tension that, oh my God, even today I sinned, Lord, why why did you allow me to sin? I don't want to sin. Carry that tension and that desire to be better day after day. That's a pledge that you are committed to always saying yes to grace and no to sin and you don't ever want to sin again. But be patient with yourself. Yeah. And that does help, you know, if you saying that. It's just, man, I wish John would have said that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because because I've listened to a lot of I, I listen to a lot of stuff and there's there's these Christian guys and you know, I love how you point out, you know, the Protestant deal is one guy's opinion, private interpretation against another. And I it's so true, and that's what was driving me nuts. But I mean, some of these guys are like, Look, you're sin and they say that they're sinless. They say that they believe in sinless perfection, which is crazy, I know, but they believe it, but they're like, Look, that's what the Bible says. If you're sinning, you're not of God. Bam. So it's just like, well, then you look it up and, and, and I've heard and I just hear these weak arguments where they're just being contortionist and bending every which way and oh no, it means practicing. That means you're practicing, trying to get better at it. But no, it says if you sin, that and I look up the, the original language and everything, it just means if you sin, you are blank, you know. It's just like I yeah. it's hard, dude. That's why you need help. That's why that you are sick. That's why you placed yourself in the hospital. It's that easy. So this is the thing. I mean, you know, even the greatest saints knew that they barely escaped condemnation. They barely escaped eternal punishment and hell. And they knew the mercy of Jesus Christ on them because they knew that they were sinners. So imagine we're supposed to look to the saints as an example, right? As heroic virtue and a saintliness and holiness and all this sort of thing. Well, they know that they're sinners. They're going to confession often. They are falling. They are sinning. And they're reading the same passages of the Bible that you're reading. And they are mortified by their weakness. And this is what makes them saints is because they know they're nothing. They know they're sinners. They know they're pathetic. They know they're sick. And that's why they avail themselves of the perfect doctor, the perfect surgeon, Jesus Christ. This is what it means. You're not a Puritan. You don't. You do not belong to a Puritan religion. Period. Give it up. You are a sick and ugly and pathetic and disgusting and smelly sinner. But you've placed yourself in the hospital. You are there. You're in, and you just thank God that I, by the grace of God, I had the free will to make the reasonable choice the only reasonable choice there is to make, which is to say yes to Jesus Christ and to put yourself in that waiting room so that one day you'll be purified, you'll make it to heaven. It's cause for celebration.
And uh, someone I interviewed today gave me a really interesting analogy where he went to a charismatic Catholic church where everyone's like throwing their arms up in the air and the singing and there's like corny music and all this sort of stuff. And uh, he said, I hated it. I was embarrassed by all these idiots. And uh, then I got an inspiration from God. He said, put your arms up in the air like everyone else is doing. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, okay, well, I can't force you, but why don't you just trust me and try it? And so he stuck his arms up in the air like an idiot, like all the other people with the corny music playing. And he said he was completely released from all his guilt, all his shame, because he was a really horrible sinner at the time. And from that day forward, he's been free. He's been free from anxiety, free from fear. Yeah, he still has problems in his life, but he has the joy of Jesus Christ in his heart now, just because he surrendered. He really did surrender. So, uh, yeah, a charismatic Catholic thing. That sounds insane. I, I mean, I wish there was something like that around. I'd go, man. I'd go check it out. And then my other, and, uh, my other buddy I was just talking to that I've known forever that he knew me and I was a total demon possessed, crazy person. And, from way back and he was uh, my drummer. I was in like a speed metal band, you know, back in the day. And, and uh, we both became Christians and stuff later on in life. Now we're hanging out again. But like, I was talking to him about, you know, my, my trip in Catholicism, you know, and he's just like, wow, you know, he, I, I don't know. He, I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna jump on board too. Because he's like, I think that we've been lied to about what Catholics believe. Cause I was telling him, I'm like, yeah, I got this guy I'm talking to. And all these uh, mischaracterizations of the faith, like, oh, you worship Mary, and oh, you this and that. And it's just like, no, those are, those are just caricatures of, of, of something. There. It's, it's false. You know, it's like strawman. So, because um, he loves all the saints. Like, he's like reading, uh, you know, Aquinas and reading all those guys all the time. And it's just like, if you, if you want to see some wisdom and, and learn some stuff, you go to the church fathers, and they all just happen to be Catholic. It's like, okay. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> and even in the Protestant things, they quote from these guys all the time, like in the Puritans. Like John Calvin said, everything that I teach, I got from um, Augustine. That's what he, he claims. He, you know, yeah. he said, I didn't come up with any of this. It's all you know, Augustine or whatever. So I don't know why he wanted to be a reformer then. And it's funny because the reformers, they were trying to reform the Catholic Church. They weren't trying to start a movement. They saw some problems in the church. Like Luther, he didn't want to leave Catholicism. He just wanted to uh, change a couple of things, and they're like, no, they kicked him out. So then he started his own deal. But he wasn't trying to leave, you know? He, he was probably a heretic and all that, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? He was trying to reform the Catholic Church and just make it better. But uh, I don't know. I just think it's funny. And, and then and the big thing, too, like the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Protestant thing, you know? And with my wife, it's like, who canonized the Scripture? Like, you're all about the Bible? Who, who gave that to you? I don't know. You know, it's just funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're short-sighted people. We're very blind, very blind. But uh, the riches that we have in the Catholic Church are just mind-boggling. If anyone could get a taste of it, they would never look back. Anyone who tastes the rich treasures that we have, not only in terms of sacraments, but in terms of the saints, in terms of the writings, in terms of the history, in terms of education, in terms of science, in terms of everything, it's just like so rich so diverse. It really is a blessing. I mean, once once you see the treasure we have in the church, I really don't understand why anyone would stay out. And once they're in, I don't understand why they'd leave. Yeah. And, and another thing too, I, I always thought it was just some dead, empty faith, you know, just some dry, religious, dead, empty faith, because that's kind of what I witnessed growing up. But now that I'm going there, I see people pouring out their heart to God and just in this true devotion, I don't know what's going on in their heart, but you can tell, dude, you know, 
And the more that I talked to my parents, I, I had a mischaracterization of them too in their faith. It's like, they actually do believe. I'm just like, oh, we're just here to be seen by everyone that we're here. And it's just a traditional family thing. But no, dude. And shame on me for thinking that of my parents, you know, like my mom and my dad, you know, it's like, they didn't really talk about it at home. But I mean, I don't know. I, I do see some devotion there. I see people there pouring out their hearts and people being so kind to me because I go in there like a total idiot. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Where, where are we at in this thing? And they're oh, come here, honey. They'll stop what they're doing, you know, and they'll show me where to, you know, look in the books and stuff and where, where the prayers are and what I'm supposed to say and everything. I'm just like total idiot and they're but they're also i just found some kindness and some just loving godly people man yeah this is true religion we're, we're just naturally attracted to that once you make the decision that this is the church this is jesus christ this is how you worship then you can see with your eyes open you can see the good examples you can follow the good examples and you can just place yourself in their presence and just absorb it there's a lot of stuff in life that is just unspoken where you just soak it up put yourself in the presence of good and avoid evil Mm, yeah and I, I don't know who it was like pope francis one of his prayers it's just like whenever there's strife help me to bring peace to that situation or when there's do, do you know what i'm talking about are you talking about saint francis of assisi prayer uh i don't even know where there is discord let me so yeah uh, yeah uh, uh lord make me an instrument of your peace where there's hatred let me so love where there's injury pardon where there's doubt faith where there's despair hope where there's darkness light where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I might not much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Dude, that's good, huh? <laughs> I want that. That's St. Francis of Assisi. And he's a good guy? I don't know anything about him. <laughs> he's got saint in front of his name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so check it. Was was he a recent guy though, or is he an old school no, guy? No, thirteenth century. Ooh, cool man! I gotta check him out. I gotta see more of his stuff because isn't that it though? Like, in in your small circle of of influence that you have, even if it's just like your own family, if you're just that little influence of Christ that's bringing that little bit of peace. I mean, and and all of us out there worldwide in our little spheres, the whole world will be changed. And like when Jesus said that little mustard seed that grows into the biggest whatever when he's talking about the kingdom starts as something very tiny minuscule nothing it was 12 guys standing there staring at the sky what happened what, what happened where'd he go and the angel's like we're staring at the sky you morons he's gonna come back just go do what he just told you to do and it's like bam look at it now man we're global all of that stuff that jesus said came true all of those things the kingdom is like this and 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 then uh daniel when uh, Daniel's prophesying about the kingdom becoming, he's prophesying about the Messiah coming in the kingdom that will never fall. It, it talks about that stone that was cut without hands. It gets thrown at that statue that's made of the gold, bronze, and iron, you know, that was Nebuchadnezzar. And he said that that rock that broke that statue became a mountain that overtook the entire world. That's the kingdom of God. That's the mustard seed. That's the little leaven that goes into the whole thing. It's already happening, man. Wow. It's, it's amazing, huh? You got your preach on today, man. Amen, brother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. That means we're supposed to live our simple human nature. We're supposed to be fully human, but not get sucked into worshiping the creature in any way, whether it be sex, food, power, or whatever it is. So 
it's amazing to think about God being so humble and so patient and being so natural. And he took on our humanity. And uh, look at the mother of God. Look at the, the foster father of God, you know, Mary and Joseph. Look at the example. So calm, so peaceful, and so patient. It's really, really inspirational. If you meet regular, normal Catholics who are good people, it really is a peek into heaven, I think. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. And it's Christ in them. Like you just said, that, was, that just hit me. That person, that thing that, that I see in Ernie, that I see in other people like that, uh, that's Christ that you're seeing in them. You know? I think there's a tendency for us to seek the novelty, and uh, that's an aberration. You know, it's, it's to be more and more yourself. And you're not going to lose your personality. You're going you're gonna to see your true personality coming out. And uh, like I always like to emphasize, each one of us has a guardian angel, and that guardian angel is absolutely unique in his species. There is no one like your guardian angel. And so each of us is really unique. We don't need to strive to be eccentric. When you love and when you're natural and when you're wholesome and good, you will be very, very interesting, more interesting than you are as a sinner who's trying to put on a show all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that's been pretty much my life is trying to be that guy and all that, you know. <laughs> but uh, really, before we wrap up, is there anything else that's been on your mind? Questions, uh, concerns about Mary or uh, concerns about... I, I'm uh, still not, you know, can I, and I know you're not going to let me get out of this. Because like you say, you, you say that certain truths are truths that you have to believe or else you're not a Catholic. And the Mar Mary, and um, and I love how you talked about the Pope and everything. But I mean, I, I don't get it. Let me just paint a picture for you. Let's say that God Almighty gave you the keys right now. Okay, so this is a fantasy. God gives you the keys. You now hold the keys to heaven. Okay, You, as you are right now with all your faults and all your failings and all your weaknesses. He gives you the keys right now. So when someone comes up to you and says, I heard you have the keys, and then they start criticizing your personality, what are you going to say? You're going to say, don't look at me. Just acknowledge the fact that God, for whatever reason, in his infinite wisdom, he gave me the keys. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know all the details of my sin. You don't need to know all my weaknesses. You don't need to know anything. All you need to know, friend, is that I have the keys. Do I deserve the keys? No, I do not. But I have the keys. That's reality. So it's the same thing when you look at Pope Francis. You don't need to like him. You don't need to admire him. But you need to acknowledge he was given the keys. That's it. And when you ask him about his faults, he'll say, yes, I'm a sinner, but don't worry about that. Just look at the keys that God has given me. I'm not worthy to have the keys, but I have the keys. Do you want in? Yes or no? I can't force you, but I, I'm the guy with the keys. That's it. It's like you can humble yourself by looking at the Pope. Humble yourself by saying, what if I had been given the keys? That's amazing. Yeah, I never thought of that because he was passing it on to a human. So no matter which human it was, there's going to be uh, some humanness to it, some sinfulness, something stupid even. Yeah. I get that. That's good, man. Just keep it in perspective. It's a mystical thing. It's a mystery. And the church itself, like I said at the very beginning of this, is a mystery. The church is a mystery. We cannot understand it. So certainly you're not going to understand the mystery of the incarnation and uh, Mary's immaculate conception and all the rest. Well, that's good stuff. But I can still not worry about it, right? Like, okay, I'll just, I trust. Yeah, just trust. Just trust in Jesus. I trust, I trust it, but I don't have to, at this point in my walk, I don't want to pretend or do it. Yeah, I mean, God's not impressed with that. No, 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 no. Just ask Jesus when you pray, pray to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the spouse of Mary. So ask. Yikes, I don't know. Do we do that? <laughs> Are we supposed to pray to the Spirit? I've always wondered that too because the Spirit, I think, in the scriptures, kind of is like 
he only points to Christ. Like he's like, don't look at me. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. I don't know. I'd, I'd be uncomfortable doing that too. But a lot of a, a lot of Protestants do that. There's songs to the Holy Spirit, and I've never felt comfortable with that. Do you pray to the Father? Yes. Okay. Do you pray to the Son? Uh, yeah. I mainly pray to the Father in the name of the Son. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So do whatever you're most comfortable with. Just be natural. Be you, and don't pretend to be something you're not. And pray to God the Father through Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit, like you normally do. And ask about Mary, ask about the Pope, ask about all the things that you are most concerned about and uh, ask to be given light and to understand. That's it. If there are any obstacles in your way, ask that God will open your eyes and that he will remove the obstacles. And uh, that's it. You know, prayer and the sacraments. I wouldn't worry about it. All right, man. All right, brother. Well, this has been great. Thanks for your time. And, And like I said, keep sending me everything. I'm going to not respond as much as I would really, really love to and say a lot of things because all my things are being, you know, hacked, spied on or whatever. And I don't want to, you know, I don't know. I want my wife to feel, know that that I love her and I'm putting her first and everything that, but I need you dog. So don't disappear and know that if I, that I'm thinking about, you know, I'm praying for you every single day. I'm listening to all your stuff and I'm, I'm there, man. Thanks, brother. I know you're there for me. I know you're praying for me. I can feel it and uh, really appreciate it. That's cool, man. All right, brother. Take it easy, my friend. All right, you too, brother. Love you, God bless. Bye. Bye. If you like your worldview, if you think it's swell, if you've got some questions, ask me and I'll tell. All you've got to do is ask. All you've got to do is ask.